Well, please turn with me in our Bibles uh, this morning to the Gospel according to John, and turning to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, and beginning our reading at verse 1. Uh, This morning we want to zero in on uh, particular verses, but we want to be able to appreciate uh, the context of the conversations that are happening. So we'll begin our reading at John chapter 10 at verse 1. This is on page 896. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? At that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. 
The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. We have been looking in recent weeks at what we've been calling the doctrines of grace, uh, the teachings of God's word about how God's salvation is a work of grace. What do we mean uh, when we talk about God's grace? And we have really been following something of a historical uh, debate, something that down through the ages, the Christian church has articulated and then had to redefend at various points. And particularly about 400 years ago, this was a contentious issue as to understanding what exactly uh, is God's grace meaning. Uh, Already we've looked at how the scriptures describe our condition uh, as a result of the fall that we've highlighted that the scriptures say that by nature we are dead in our sins, following the prince of the power of the air, children of wrath, uh, being led uh, by our passions. And what we were highlighting is, is that scripture says that not only are we sinful, but that we, sin has touched on every aspect of the human being, of the human condition, our mind, our, our thoughts, Our will, our desires, or our affections are all stained by sin. Uh, Another passage that bears this out is in Titus, where it says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. And what is key about that is, is that as Scripture talks about our fallen condition, our our condition as we come into this world. You notice how scripture says it touches on everything, that we are by nature foolish. In our, in our minds, we are those who deny what is true. That in our wills, we are those who are being led astray uh, by various uh, passions and pleasures. We are disobedient, that our desires are even corrupted. And so we've been saying that as we're trying to make sense of the human life, that even our own desires are not a faithful moral compass, that even our, our own mind is not going to be a, a perfect, reliable guide. But ultimately, we have to recognize there's something wrong about us. And scripture highlights that God is a God who does not stand back, but a God who intervenes. And God's rescue, God's work of salvation, of delivering us from the effects and the curse of sin, is is describing what the grace of God is. God intervenes into our situation, ultimately to provide a savior in the Lord Jesus Christ. God has shown his grace then towards sinners by acting and working a rescue uh, from their sin. This morning we want to really... Uh, slow down and ask the question, what did Jesus accomplish through his death? What did Jesus accomplish through his mission? 
And we want to think about that by turning to what Jesus himself says here in John's gospel, as Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd. And we want to see that because Jesus is the good shepherd, that uh, he lays down his life for, their, for his sheep, that all who believe in him have eternal life. We want to think about the words that Jesus is using here, uh, these well-known words in two thoughts. We want to think about the work of the good shepherd and the recipients of the good shepherd's work. What is it that Jesus says he does? And then secondly, for whom does he do it? So first, we're looking at a description of the shepherd's work. Here in John chapter 10, Jesus identifies himself as the good shepherd. This is one of the I am sayings of Jesus uh, that helps us understand the, the person and the work of Jesus in John's gospel. But you notice that as Jesus says this, makes this claim about himself, a very rich claim about himself, he's not just saying something about himself, he's saying something about his people. He's describing them like sheep. And what, what makes sheep so uh, distinct is some of their fundamental features. Sheep are by nature defenseless. Uh, they are not like other creatures that are very defensive and able to defend themselves against attacks. Uh, sheep are defenseless. Uh, they are vulnerable. Uh, they are oftentimes senseless creatures. Uh, sheep can get a whole bunch of muck uh, woven into their wool and they can become uh, tip-sided, uh, that they can fall over. And if they are not able uh, to get themselves back up, they can actually lose circulation and die in that situation. They're not able to respond to their situation even wisely. Sheep are prone to wander. Uh, they, they don't recognize danger that looms around them. And when we look in the scriptures, the imagery of sheep fits with the human experience. That humans, by nature, the same things can be said about us. That we are people that are vulnerable, not simply as mortal creatures, but that we are, we are surrounded by forces that are much stronger than us. That we are creatures that are prone to be foolish, not recognizing the dangers around us, helpless uh, to fix the situation that we find ourselves in. And so scripture would even say things like, we are like sheep, all like sheep, we have gone astray, everyone in his own direction. That we are, we are foolish and senseless sheep. And so Jesus here uh, takes up this imagery of scripture to describe both his people, but even to describe himself. What is the function of a shepherd? A shepherd's calling, as we were reading there in Ezekiel, a shepherd's calling is to lead the sheep. It is to have authority over the sheep, to care for them, to bring them to a state of rest. They are appointed over the sheep to provide for the sheep because the sheep can't provide for themselves. And so and many times in the Old Testament, leaders of Israel were described as shepherds. They were those who were appointed to lead the people and to care for their needs. But as we read in Ezekiel, many times those leaders were self-centered. Many times those leaders were not really concerned about the people. 
about, about attending to their own comforts and their own needs. And so they were rebuked in the time of Ezekiel. But you remember in that, that passage that even in the rebuke of the sheep and the leaders of the sheep, there was an anticipation that God himself would shepherd the flock. And more than that, Ezekiel said that he would appoint a shepherd over the sheep who would be different. That he would express the care of God in a way that is remarkably different than these other shepherds who failed. That he said, I will appoint my servant David. And so there will be one shepherd and one flock. He will shepherd the flock of God. He will be the expression of God's care. At this point in history, David has been dead for hundreds of years. And so when Ezekiel says, I will appoint my servant David, he's not thinking about David, the son of Jesse. He's thinking about David, a son of David, another like David, who is appointed as king, one who will rule the people and lead them and express God's care over them that they might have rest. And so the, the scriptures have this building anticipation of one who will come to express the care of God over those who were like needy sheep because they are foolish by nature, living in sin, because they are senseless by nature, not aware of the danger that they're in, because they are vulnerable because of their sin. And so this anticipation mounts in the old covenant scriptures. So when Jesus comes on the scene and Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, Jesus is saying something very uh, important. He is taking everything that the Old Testament has said about God's care, about God being a shepherd, and he is now attributing it to himself. But notice here as he talks, he says, I am the good shepherd. Jesus describes himself as uh, a good shepherd in a way that is distinct from others. He's not like the thief and the robber. He's not like the hired hand. Maybe you've gone to restaurants or you've gone to places where you can see someone who's doing their work, but they're just doing their job to get paid. They have no real interest in the, uh, the work that is going on. They just want their money. They just want their wage. As opposed to someone who is deeply invested in this work. It is their business. They are the owners of this business. They are the ones who have built this business up from the grassroots. For them, they take great pride and great concern in the success of their business. There's a difference we notice when we go in and we are working with an employee versus the employer, perhaps. Jesus here makes that distinction between a hired hand who's just doing what he has to do to fulfill his responsibilities, but he has no care for the sheep, and himself, who is different than those because they belong to him. They are my sheep, and he says that his care over them is the care of God. And so Jesus here uh, is saying a lot about his own work. He is the shepherd, the one who expresses the care of God. But more than that, in these verses, notice that Jesus describes what he means when he says, I am the good shepherd. What makes him a shepherd? What makes him a good shepherd? What makes him 
the good shepherd. Jesus doesn't leave us in the dark. He's not ambiguous about what makes him stand out as different than the hired hands. He's not ambiguous about how he's different than the leaders who have come before him. He says, I am the good shepherd. And two times in verses 11 and then in verse 14, Jesus explains what makes him the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Notice Jesus does not say the good shepherd risks his life for the sheep. He does not say the good shepherd is willing to lay down his life for the sheep. Jesus says the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The scene that Jesus is picturing here is a scene of mortal danger. The sheep are going to die. The sheep are, uh, are surrounded and threatened. And the shepherd here sacrifices himself in order that the sheep might live. The, the shepherd actually lays down his life in order to rescue the sheep from the danger that they're surrounded by. That's the language that Jesus is using. In fact, Don Carson, a Canadian theologian, makes that point. When Jesus uses the language, I lay down my life for the sheep. That word for, in every occurrence in John's gospel, has the connotation of sacrifice in the place of another. As a substitute, it is a sacrificial act in order to rescue or in the place of another. So when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, what makes me the good shepherd is, is that I lay down my life for the sheep. This charge of laying down my life I have received from the Father. This work is a work that I fulfill. I will bring it to pass because it is part of the plan of God. So Jesus' claim here, he calls himself the good shepherd, the fulfillment of God's care for sinners. And he does it by sacrificing himself in the place of sinners. This is important because when we come to think about what, what is Jesus ultimately doing? It's one thing to say we are all by nature sinners. That sin has stained every aspect of our, our constitution. Our mind, our desires, our will are affected and distorted by sin. But what the scriptures say is not simply that you are sinful or even that you're guilty as a result of being sinful. The scriptures warn that sin warrants condemnation. The scriptures warn that our guilt is enough to condemn us before the judge. That our sin, in other words, is serious. That's why Jesus uses this imagery of a mortal danger situation. Jesus lays down his life because the situation is so serious. And so as we think about the work of Jesus, we're seeing it as a, an act of sacrifice in the place of sinners. So we come to think about uh, sin, we have to see it as something serious. Uh, it threatens to destroy us eternally and to separate us from God's favor. The work of the Good Shepherd, then, is to lay down his life as a sacrifice, to pay the penalty, the cost of sin. What does Jesus say? The Son of Man came into this world not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. 
That word ransom means to pay the price to liberate another. Jesus' death, Jesus himself says, his death accomplishes something. It pays the price. It atones for sin. It covers the problem. It satisfies the justice of God. It removes the curse. And so as we think about the work of Jesus, it's important that we're able to dig down and to say, what did Jesus' death actually do? Sometimes people will say, Jesus laid down his life as an example for us. And we see that analogy in scripture. Certainly, the scriptures highlight that there's a pattern uh, in Jesus' sacrificial uh, practice. But that's not primarily what the cross is about. Jesus' death is not simply to give us an example to follow of self-denial. It's not even right to say the cross is first and foremost an expression of God's love, although it is. That's not really getting at the core of the cross. The core of the cross is the atoning for sin. It is the covering of the curse. It is the liberation from the judgment that we deserve. And these other aspects of self-denial and the love of God all revolve around this center issue that Jesus' death covers sin. It accomplishes redemption. It is the ransom price. It is what sets sinners free. And that's, that's key for us in understanding the work of the Good Shepherd. He did something. And that shapes the whole of the Christian's life. So we see the description here of Jesus. He is shepherd. He is the good shepherd. The good shepherd is characterized by laying down his life for his sheep. He does it because sin is serious. He does it in order to effect their rescue from the judgment of God. It is a sacrificial act that he does. And two times Jesus ex explains what makes him the good shepherd is in the act of actually laying down his life. But then he also explains something about the recipients of his work. Jesus not only explains himself as the good shepherd, but he describes the sheep as well. And throughout this chapter, you notice that he says many things about his sheep. Uh, he knows his sheep by name. Uh, he says his sheep hear his voice. And he says, I know my own and my own know me. There's a, a personal, a mutual interaction and knowledge of one another that characterizes that relationship. You notice that Jesus also highlights that he has many sheep uh, because he says in verse 16 that he has sheep of another fold, meaning that he has sheep outside of Judea, outside of the Jews, that his sheepfold includes both Jews and Gentiles. But Jesus goes more than that. When he describes his sheep, he describes them in a definite or a particular way. When the when uh, Jesus is saying all these things, it tells us that it uh, provoked another controversy. And uh, it tells us that some came up to him and said, tell us plainly if you are the Christ. Uh, stop leaving us in suspense. And you remember that Jesus responds by saying, I've already told you. Uh, this isn't something where I haven't been clear or that my works haven't made it apparent. But Jesus actually uncovers a deeper problem. 
He says, you do not believe. And the reason you do not believe is because of your relationship with me. You are outside the fold. You are not part of my sheep. Now, when Jesus says that, we have to realize that Jesus is not removing their sense of responsibility when he says, you're not belonging to me. He doesn't remove their responsibility and neither does that remove his, his ability to call them to respond in faith. You read on and you see down in verses 37 and 38, Jesus will go on to say, even though you don't believe in me, believe in the works. If I'm doing the works of the Father, then believe on account of the works that you might understand who I am. Jesus here is simply uncovering a deeper problem. Their deeper problem is, is their unbelief. And their unbelief is because of their separation from Christ. That they don't belong to Christ. And that fundamentally is the causation of their unbelief. That is the real issue. And so Jesus here is uh, explaining uh, the, the importance of uh, the relationship with Jesus. But we can step back and the broader point is, is that Jesus is saying everything he does, he does for his sheep. It is for his sheep that he lays down his life. It is for the sheep that he knows by name that he lays down his life. Jesus' work then is directed for those that belong to him, for those that were given to him. And this, this might seem hard to accept, but as we step back and we look at scripture, we start to see how it all fits together. How the work of Jesus is consistent. The work of God is constant. But also how God's truth is constant. You think, for instance, later when Jesus gets to his high priestly prayer. Jesus in his high priestly prayer will say things like, Father, I do not pray for those of the world, but I pray for those whom you have given to me. Yours they were, and you have given them to me. When Jesus says, I do not pray for this world, Jesus is making a clear distinction that his work of intercession, his work of priestly intercession, his praying is particular for his people. And does it make sense to say that Jesus laid down his life for all people, but that he, only will, he won't intercede for them? The work of Christ is constant. In fact, the scriptures themselves highlight that the sacrifice of Jesus is connected with his intercession as well. When you turn, for instance, to Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul makes this point. He says, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who has, was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. You see the connection that Paul's doing there. Who is to condemn us? We find our justification in Christ, in Jesus who died and has been raised, and who is interceding for us. Paul will not separate the work of Christ's sacrifice from his work of intercession. The reason why there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ 
is because Jesus laid down his life for them and he continues to intercede for them. Those whom he intercedes for are those for whom he died for. That is uh, the big point. Sometimes Christians, well-meaning Christians, can come to passages and they can say, well, this passage makes it look a different way. These passages say the world or all people, and maybe we should think about the work of Christ in a different way. Uh, maybe we should just say he, he, he died for all. But when we step back, we're not simply trying to pit one text against another text. One, because we don't believe that scripture contradicts scripture that there are other ways of understanding the word all. But more than that, when we step back, we see the purposes of God are uniform. Perhaps most convincing of that is what we were looking at last week in Ephesians. You remember how Paul began that letter, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And you trace that through, there's an unbreakable connection between the work of the Father in choosing, the work of the Son in redeeming, the work of the Spirit in sealing. It is a uniform work. But more than that, when Paul said that, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Paul is saying, Jesus' death accomplished something. It merited something. He was rewarded for what he did. In other words, he was successful. There's no hypothetical that Jesus' work failed. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. What did Jesus' death accomplish? All the grace that flows, all the salvation all the, the blessings of God flow out on account of what Jesus did towards his people. Those whom the Father has chosen are those for whom the Son has died, are those for whom the Spirit renews and enables them to believe. Why labor this point? Uh, why not just be ambiguous about what exactly the work of Christ has accomplished? One reason is because we believe the scriptures themselves press this matter. But we believe the scriptures press this matter in order that we would cherish the precious teaching of God's grace. Because when a person's faith is shaken, when a person is doubting the favor of God versus the rejection of God, when a person is looking for assurance of faith, where do they look? And the scriptures teach us to look to what Christ has accomplished. When the scriptures teach, they don't say that Jesus died to make salvation possible. The scriptures don't say that Jesus died so that reconciliation was possible. The scriptures teach that Jesus died to reconcile, to justify, to make peace. So Paul can say, Christ is our peace. That's the bedrock of our faith. Christ accomplished something. And all who believe in him enjoy what he has accomplished. That gives assurance of faith. But more than that, that helps us to appreciate 
where the scriptures are leading us to. Remember how Paul talks. As Paul, a, a believer now, says, the life that I now live, I live by faith. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That as we think about Jesus' work laying down his life for the sheep, it's not just a blanket act. Jesus knows his people by name and lays his life down for them. That's the love of God. That's the care of Christ. That's the work of the Good Shepherd. So Jesus here not only explains what makes him the Good Shepherd, laying down his life for the sheep, but he explains the sheep themselves. He highlights to those who are listening to them, there's a difference between those for whom he has a a connection with. You are my sheep. You are not my sheep. There are those that he identifies by name. I know you. Enter into the joy of your rest. And others that he does not acknowledge as belonging to him. And for his work has no benefit to them. But more than that, we see as well how he describes them as his sheep. In verse 27, notice uh, that Jesus goes on to describe them. Uh, He says, um, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. Jesus describes his sheep there very quickly as those who hear his voice and those who follow him. Maybe you've seen uh, 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 a real shepherd or maybe you've seen a video where tourists will go to sheep farms and the shepherd will tell the tourists how to call the sheep out in the uh, pastures. And so the tourists will call out to the sheep whatever the shepherd tells them to say and you'll see all these sheep sprinkled throughout the fields and they ignore them. And then the shepherd will say the exact same words and the sheep raise their voice, raise their heads, and then uniformly start coming towards the shepherd. They know who they belong to, and they respond to his voice. Jesus here is describing those for whom his care has been directed. How do we know if Christ has worked for our benefit? Are we those who have come to hear his voice And are we following him in response? When you hear the words of Jesus, do you hear yourself saying, this is good, this is true, this makes sense, this is attractive, I want to hear more. This is something that makes sense of the world. This is something I want to get behind. I find myself drawn to this one. That's the work of the Spirit. That's the work of God in a person's life. So Jesus here describes his sheep. He says all that the Father has uh, given to him will come to him, and he will never cast them out. But the coming to him is a work of God even. Uh, And Jesus here highlights that they will be characterized by that response, where they hear his voice. This isn't just the the words of some random person. They recognize this is the care of God being expressed to them. So as we think about Jesus' claims, we ask the questions to ourselves. Are you one of Christ's sheep? 
Do you hear the words of Jesus? Does his words delight in you so that you want to hear more? And do you find yourself embracing not just what he says, but embracing him as your source of hope and security, recognizing your own weakness and foolishness? They will be those who will want to live under his direction and care. His authority becomes a good thing. His care becomes a source of protection. Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd. He is the good shepherd because he lays down his life for the sheep. He sacrifices himself. He sacrifices himself because sin is serious. He offers himself up to cover the penalty that is due for sin. He does that for his sheep. And his work is not open-ended in the sense of hypothetically failing, but rather it is definitive and successful. God's grace is seen in that Christ does all that is necessary to save his sheep. He provides everything for them, and his sheep will respond. To God be the praise and glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we think about the claims of Jesus, we would see how he is the good shepherd. We pray, Lord, as well, that we would derive the benefits of seeing uh, the, the love of Christ being directed uh, towards his sheep. Lord, we pray uh, that uh, wherever we stand this morning, may we be people uh, who hear the words of Christ by your spirit and that we would be able to treasure uh, the love of Christ in him. Go before us in Jesus' name. Amen.